Falling for nobody else. I need to know what condition my trousers are in. Your trousers, I think they got a huge rip in them, haven't they? They did, but I'm not sure if it was established that I'd actually made it out of the bathroom. I think it was established that you had, you were pondering. Yes, you'd, you'd made it upstairs, hadn't you? Yeah, but no, it was on his way back out. He'd already been upstairs and he, he was exiting back through the bathroom. Because I, I remember, I remember we were talking about whether he was going to climb out the window again, and just leave the bathroom door locked behind him. And no, I think he'd he'd actually left through the bathroom door, hadn't he? Yes, I came back out through the bathroom, but I was hoping to cover up my dignity with some part of bit of item of clothing. I know the details are absolutely critical of whether you left through the toilet door or through the through the window, but let's assume you are back in the house. Yeah, I, I came back through the toilet door, definitely. It's, it's absolutely critical for anyone who's waiting for the toilet. That is true, because if you've left the door locked, there could be a big problem, yeah. No, I definitely, I came back in through the window. Okay, so you, you came back in through through the window. And through then, the bathroom window. And through then the bathroom, through and, then, the bathroom. And, then, and then through, okay, yes, you did, you did. I, I think you even took, took a hit point of damage on the way out, didn't you, I think? I was being really mean. Uh, possibly, but that, that's the least of my concerns at the moment. So yes, yeah, so last session, you were sitting through what promised to be a very interesting lecture, but turned into rather a dull, pompous uh, exposition on, on all kinds of Atlantean mythology by this uh, Lilith Hopkirk lady. The, the title was Panchromatic Imagery and Symbolism in Dreams and its Connection with Themes in Certain Recently Communicated Fragments of Atlantean Literature and Poetry. And with a title like that, how could it have been anything but intensely dull? I'm sure I've been to that lecture in real life. Yes. But I suppose the interesting aspects of it were were the idea of using the knowledge of the Atlanteans to bring forth a new golden age. Talking about projecting that the Atlanteans projected themselves to a dimension outside of time where they keep watch, benevolent watch on humanity, of course. Uh, and also some mention of, well, ancient ones, old ones, you know, just old, I guess, old people, I suppose, is what she was talking about there. And I think that Rita had somewhat made a spectacle of herself hadn't she R- rather rather getting a, a bit too physical with some of the some of the guests hadn't she sorry about yeah, that yeah but... she she stood up she stood up after Trevelyan said I see we have some new takers and then he said I sense you are seekers of truth and then mm-hmm. re- she said she started massaging the heads of people in front of her oh god yes that was it that's what I have written down <laughs> I'm so glad you take notes yeah, well, I mean, you were making a bit of a spectre of yourself, Rita. Maybe Rita is is just engrossed in in this manipulation of of uh, the visitors' heads. Phrenology, a most compelling scalp. So Trevelyan turned up, and he said that there were some new faces in the crowd who felt the calling to the golden age. And Rita stood up, and then he kept going, and that just inspired her to start massaging the head of the person sitting in front of her. Yeah. Shall we say that there's a bit of a commotion as a result of that? But it quickly dies down when they realise that you're just being, I don't know, weird. And, and you know, after all, everyone else is being weird, so why not? Um, and Trevelyan comes over and he says, Well, my dear, you uh, you seem to have a way, with, uh, a way with your hands. Is this some kind of new practice, ritual, behaviour that I've not heard of? 
Well, you see, the head is an incredibly sensitive organ. And it has very strong connections to uh, all sorts of other olfactory parts of the body. That is true. After all, your hair is your antenna to the cosmos, is it not? That's exactly what they told me. Well, I think you should come upstairs to my study and we can discuss this further. Would your friends care to come with? I, well, I'm, I'm at such a nice invitation. I'm sure that uh, they would. They would. I'm sure they would. Uh, uh, so, uh, do you, do you, the rest of you want to come upstairs and hang out in the study with uh, the big man? Of course, that would be wonderful, Rita. I think you might have to wake. You might have to wake Doctor Watson up. Well, I mean, he's sleeping peacefully. It's up to you if you want to wake him up. I'll just carry him. Just wondering if there's a cloakroom out by the bathroom that perhaps may have picked up somebody's cape or something that I could possibly have uh, commandeered to just to uh, you know uh, address the backdraft. I think this requires a luck roll, surely, does it? Does it not? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. What a waste of a critical. Says you. Every time I play in one of your games, Andy, we wind up with unfortunate bathroom accidents. Is, is it possible to steal, steal this cloak then, claim it for myself, and nobody notices? I would say, yeah, absolutely. This cloak, you can, you can, it can be what, I mean... Is it a cloak of invisibility? <laughs> well, well, on, on a zero one, I mean, surely with the critical, that means that there's actually a pair of trousers there that, if, that fits. Yes, but who'd have come in and hung up their trousers? <laughs> well, not a pair of trousers. Maybe maybe it's a pair of fishermen's, like, you know, those waders. waders. Yeah, a pair of waders. There's a pair of waders with, 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 shoulder, with straps, you know, the strap over the okay, shoulders. Okay, okay. I did quite fancy a cape, but waders will do. It is a critical, and all he gets is some waiters. Come on, man. Well, but as you're putting them, as you're putting them on, you 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 realise there's something in the pocket. Oh dear! I thought I was lucky. Yeah. As long as it isn't a salmon. <laughs> no, yeah, they're not full of clam chowder, are they, or anything? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely there's something in the pocket. Maybe this must have belonged to Trevelyan. Do you do, do, do you pull it out? <laughs> I mean, what's in the pocket? Yes, I, I, I have a look at what's in the pocket. Okay, so you pull out what, what appears to be some kind of small notebook. I mean, it doesn't. It is a small notebook. Just one of those, a small spiral bound, you know, probably about five inches by, by three. Like one of those really small ring bound uh, notebooks. A6. A6, yeah, sure. It's got some notes in it, but... Um... I, I mean, you're, you're in the closet right now, so to speak. But you could look at it now. You could you could rejoin your companions. But yeah, you are you're you're in. Um... I will rejoin my companions because I'm aware that, you know, my absence will be. You know, I don't want to miss out. Now, I'll keep the book and we'll we'll look at it when, when we've got some time. Thank you, because I have no idea what's in it at the moment. Gives me some time to think about it. Right, so you go upstairs and rejoin your companions as as they seem to be um, being escorted to the staircase by a rather portly man with an elegant demeanour who's clearly uh, the, the master of the house, Hawksley Trevelyan. Are you going to join them or say something or are you going to just uh, let them go up? I will. I'll follow, I'll follow along. He turns around and says, one more? Uh, yes, yes, sorry, I was uh, caught a little short. 
Oh, I can see, I can see. Uh, oh, I see you. You've taken advantage of my um, my spare clothing in the in the hallway cupboard, uh, in, the, in the hallway uh, wardrobe. I, I hope you don't mind. Oh, that's perfectly okay. I haven't I haven't worn those in months. I am a keen fisherman, you see, but uh, don't have the time these days. I I I just saw them and couldn't resist. This ain't weird at all. Well, well, my good fellow, uh, 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 by all means, keep them. Uh, I think they quite suit you. Hey, can I just check? Am I am I still dreaming? Oh, do you want me to set you down? I was just kind of cradling you up these stairs. Ah, uh, yes, yes, that that, that would be uh, jolly good. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Did you have a nice nap, Doctor Watson? Yes, I know. I had uh, marvelous dreams filled with Atlantean poetry. It was uh, yes, quite remarkable. Trevelyan leans in and he whispers, "Yes, uh, Lilith does sometimes go on a little bit. I am a bit sorry about, but I uh, no, nothing, nothing to worry about, Mister Trevelyan. I am an academic. That is far from the most tedious lecture I have ever attended." Well, I tell you what, come upstairs and, and we will talk more. I sense that you are all, oh, I, I, how can one put it, all, all seekers, all seekers. Yes. Uh, Perhaps sensitive type, sensitive to the to the uh, forces beyond our beyond our sight. Yes, yes, absolutely. So he takes you up the stairs and down a corridor to to a study room on on the third floor. It's quite a large room and probably was converted into a study because it uh, it seems like it might have been a reception room at one point. And there's um, bookcases from floor to ceiling on all the walls except at the end wall behind his writing desk and you can't help but be impressed or or possibly impressed might not be the right word by by this dramatic huge painting that dominates the room it's um a six foot wide full life-size full-length portrait of trevelyan wearing in almost what looks like princely uh, regalia uh, um and and it's uh, it's a it's a, a pure testament to the man's ego and he, he sits himself down in an armchair by the fireplace. Um, and he says, please, by all means, take a, take a seat on the sofa or pull up one of the chairs as you wish. Uh, Nora will head over and sit like on the edge of the sofa. She'll say, come sit, Rita. Now, uh, Rita, I think, is, is going to go and kind of curl up on the, on the floor next to Trevelyan, you know, kind of leaning on the arm of his chair on the floor just kind of looking at him uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a seat but um, I'm quite distracted by the the impressive book collection kind of uh, trying to take in as much of that as I can and and dr. Watson will just you know, ignore all the seating arrangements and walk over and just stare at the painting fascinated yes oh, and hamp what about hamp Hamp will stay on his feet and just kind of pace about. So, obviously, Milton, you make a slightly kind of oil-skinny, creaky noise as you sit down. <laughs> you know, kind of crinkling, crumpling noise, which is uh, a bit distracting. But but um, Trevelyan says, uh, well, please, but take the weight off your feet if, if you wish. But I, I can see you find my, my little my little knickknacks of, of some interest, but, uh, you know. Uh. So, Emery, you can make either a history role or a spot hidden as you wish i think spot hidden oh hang on uh no history is better 
Right. Oh God, no. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose you could always, I suppose you could always push the roll if you want. But um, I could, yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to get right up there and examine this this painting closely. I mean, obviously, Emery's eyesight isn't quite as good as it was, and well, to get to some of the higher parts of it, he, he might even have to get uh, one of those little sets of steps that you get for floor to ceiling bookshelves to allow you to reach the top ones. Uh, yeah, he's got to pull that open uh, over so he can take a look at the top parts, and I, I'm sure nothing can go wrong there. Nothing could go wrong, no. I think you should get a bonus dice for that. Oh, oh, finally, a failed push roll. Well, I mean, I mean, we all know what's about to happen, don't we? <laughs> yeah, because what happens is that you, of course, of course, you topple, you, you get to the top and maybe your footing is a bit unsteady and you topple forward and you are falling into the painting with your hands out. And the question is, do you cause any severe damage to the painting as a result? Of course so I you, do. So you have to make a luck <laughs> roll. Oh no! Can I just point out that I've, I've I've rolled four times in this game so far, and each one of those rolls has been over ninety. Yeah, you're you're doing really well. Roll twenty hates you today, and as you topple forward, as you topple forward, your your hand goes straight forward, and you hear this this ripping sound, and your hand has gone straight through the canvas and left a great big bloody hole on the right hand side and Trevelyan turns spins around and says what what are you doing that's that, that's a priceless painting of of of, of me I'm, I'm terribly sorry I, I this I am the canvas I it's it's obviously it's obviously quite rotten I know I you've I'm, I'm sure you've been keeping perfect care of it but but look at how perishes it I, I think you might have some sort of infestation of, of uh, silverfish or something here which obviously in a library of this kind is is a terrible thing I mean they they, they eat the bindings of books as well and and oh I it, Yes, God, anyway, man, just uh, get down, just get down. You've caused enough harm already. Just get uh, down. No, there. no, no. You're, you're looking at this. You're looking at this the wrong way, sir. You're looking at this the wrong way by pointing out the silverfish infestation that's obviously here. I may have saved your entire library. Well, maybe so, but well, just come down here and, and we have important things to discuss. He then pours himself a brandy. Uh, and Emery is desperately trying to hide the fact that he's still holding on to a bit of the canvas that's come free and, you know, is just is desperately tucking Mr. Trevelyan's left ear into his pocket. As you're stepping down, you can't help but realise that the canvas, it didn't tear because it was rotten. You, you, you know why it tore. It tore because it was extremely old. It was brittle. This painting, or at least the canvas, must be... Well, you'd imagine hundreds of years old, possibly. Oh, some sort of palimpsest. No, it's not. It's not called a palimpsest if it's a painting, is it? Uh, no, it's not. No, there's there's another term. But. There is, but I can't remember what it is. But of course, as you know, this is quite conventional. You know, old old canvases were often painted over, but. Perhaps that's not something that's done anymore, but, well, interesting, eh? Well, in which case, I'm definitely holding on to a bit of the canvas so that we can examine this later. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, anyway, Trevelyan is not very happy, of course, but then he turns to the rest of you and says, well, your clumsy friend aside, I am very pleased that you are all up here. As I said, I, I feel that you all have uh, something of interest to me as a seeker after the truth. Now, 
Would you care to discuss all your thoughts and feelings about Miss Hopkirk's lengthy, but, but I would say significant thoughts about Atlantis, the older races, the golden age that may be coming? Is this something that you have heard about, something that you are intrigued about? Tell me, what are your thoughts? Well, it's clearly the same nonsense as Madame Blavatsky has been spouting on about for the past 30 years or so, but um, she does at least give it a slightly more poetic spin. But the one thing that I, I do think that she's got right is this concept of entities looking in from outside space and time uh, in upon us. I, I recently have made um, contact with, with such entities myself, and I, I must tell you that she is terribly, terribly mistaken if she thinks they're benevolent. Why so, Dr. Watson? He says, narrowing his eyes a little bit. What? Why do I believe that they're not benevolent? Because I've made contact with them and I know they're not. <laughs> I, one knows malevolence when one, one touches it. Do you not feel, Dr. Watson, that perhaps your communication or interaction with these beings was as clumsy as your interaction with my painting, and perhaps that is why you feel they are malevolent. Yes, yes, of course. But uh, I think one does not need to understand the niceties of a tiger and its temperament, but to know that it is not a good idea to enter its cage. Interesting metaphor, Dr. Watson. Interesting metaphor. What about the rest of you? Uh, well, I I was pretty convinced by the talk. I mean, why else do you think I put on a pair of waders? I simply cannot imagine. It's oh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Are you saying you lost control of your bodily functions? No, I think you're saying you're wading through the bullshit. <laughs> well, no, I just mean the coming of the, you know, the... Uh, uh, Diluvian influx. <laughs> Good <laughs> God, man, it's not <laughs> happening tomorrow. Oh, dear, maybe I've misjudged you all. I thought you were acute thinkers. You seem to be bumbling around haplessly into into to things you don't really understand. I, I don't know what gave you that idea. Uh, Rita, Rita's going to stand up and and say, you see, perhaps it could be that. For certain things that can't really be said. And she walks around the back of his chair and starts massaging his head. I don't even begin to know what skill this would be. I suppose you could call it charm, or you could call it... I don't know. <laughs> tell me, you tell me what skill. Is there no complimentary medicine? No. Get a bit of psychoanalysis, perhaps? <laughs> Phrenology. I, <laughs> I tell you what, you can make a, make a social role of either a charm or a persuade or a fast talk role as as you wish. One of those. Or, three. Depend, or depending on how vigorous she's being, maybe intimidate. <laughs> or or it could be fighting brawl. <laughs> but no. It's going to be persuade. Okay, here we go. Twenty five in persuade. Yeah, no, I have. I've rolled ninety eight. Oh, that is a fumble. So you you go by. <laughs> You go behind him and you place your hands on his head and you start massaging. And what you do is you realise that he's wearing a hairpiece 
and you accidentally tear the hairpiece off his head and it was glued down with tonsorial paste and you rip a big patch of skin off the top of his head and he yells out in agony, what have you, what are you doing? Rita says, Mr. Trevelyan, Mr. Trevelyan, we do not need these superficial things blocking our chakras. And I throw his hairpiece into the fire. So I throw his hairpiece into the fire and, and I'm still holding his head and I'm going to spit on his head and start wiping it. He, he just wrestles up out of the seat and he pushes you off and he says, You, 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 I, if, if, if I wasn't a more, a more, a more civilised man, I'd, I'd have the police called straight away and have you all locked up for assault. What, what on earth are you think you're doing? I've, I've invited you up here as my guest and you, and you tear my painting, you tear my toupee off. I'm bleeding, you stupid woman, I'm bleeding. Mr. Trevelyan, Mr. Trevelyan, my, my companions didn't mean any harm. They're, they're a little eccentric, but... Honestly, they're they're good. They're good people, and the police. I mean, I've worked with the police extensively. I, my name is Nora. Please, please, if you could just start over. <laughs> oh God. Okay, Nora, you are going to have to make a persuade or a charm roll now. Okay. Okay. All right. I shall try. Well, at last, at last, it's a hard success, and he breathes a couple of times. <sighs> And you can see, actually, you can all see. Um, actually, no, everyone can make a psychology roll. Wow, Jesus Christ. Well, Nora, you are an acute judge of character. Well, I, I, no one else should bother rolling because she, she rolled a critical. So <laughs> that's crazy. We've had two criticals so far and a load of fumbles. It's, it's going, it's, yeah. And he's calming down. He says, okay, okay. But what you realize, Nora, is that he... He's putting on this front of being calm. You can see he's absolutely furious behind those calm eyes that he's now kind of scanning you all with. And he says, okay, I, I think we, we did all get off on the wrong foot, but please sit down. You're my, you're my welcome guests, and I, I should maybe make some allowances for your, for your eccentricities. After all, we are all a little bit strange, aren't we? While all this was going on, while there was some absolutely fantastic distraction going on, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, Emery wasn't particularly bothered about uh, Mr. Trevelyan himself, but if there are any papers or anything lying around, is, if there's a desk in this room, if there are any papers or anything that look interesting there, I, I, Emery might just take advantage of this situation to pocket them so that he can examine them later, because clearly Trevelyan's up to no good. Well, I think I think that's a good a good, a good guess, as good a guess as any. I'll tell you what, you you in the commotion, you do manage to grab a couple of things off the desk, but um, you probably have to shove them into your pocket rather quickly, so you 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 won't have a chance to look at them yet. But he then sort of stands by the fireplace, and he's got his handkerchief out. He's he's patting the top of his head where where the blood has seeped out from the from the abrasion that you caused and he looks at you all he looks at you please, all please, please please tell me that the damage to the top of his head matches the damage to the painting it's, it's, it's called harmonic sympathy but he looks at you all and he says now that we are all perhaps regained our composure somewhat you may find it hard to believe but I would like to see you all again I feel that you could be very helpful to me and um, in a small project that we are running out at the Thornton's Movie Ranch next week. Oh yes, um, we've we've already arranged to, to uh, attend the ranch next week as consultants for uh, for the film that's being shot there. 
It's a wonderful coincidence, that is, isn't it, Dr. Watson? Wonderful coincidence. If there are no coincidences. No, no, no. Only fate, and only what it brings to us. But yes, I am, as you know, I'm sure, assisting that production. And let us say we are trying to inject a certain authenticity into proceedings. I feel that yes, the subject matter... Yes, you, uh, as, as far as I can tell, that you have very unwisely taken an incantation from uh, a rather ancient source, um, shall we say a, a book of German origin, um, that uh, the incantation that has been taken from there has already had catastrophic consequences, and that using it within the film, I imagine, will bring a great deal of suffering to those involved. Is this something you're aware of? Well, Dr. Watson, uh, as I'm sure you're possibly aware of now, these things have to be done properly, you see. Either that or they have to be done not at all. That is always an option when it comes to foolhardy matters. It is, but then how will we ever learn anything, Dr. Watson, if we didn't look into matters with a, a more acute eye. Surely a man of science such as yourself would be curious. I'm curious, but I'd like to think that I'm not suicidal. No, no. But, well, should we say we are all marked in some way or other? Yes, quite possibly. Like I said before, I am terribly sorry about your head, but you really shouldn't wear those hairpieces. Yes, I I think that's a good idea. I think I won't be wearing one for quite some time. You look much more manly. That's what I'm trying to say. You look much more manly without that uh, that uh, dishcloth. You do you do have the kind of face that I think would would quite suit a fez. <laughs> he says, "Well, the offer is open to you all. You may participate, or you may spectate, or you may decide that you are not interested. But I urge you... There are other options as well, um, such as attempting to stand against and undermine any attempts to bring destruction upon all those involved. I hope we understand each other. Hmm... I think we're beginning to, Dr. Watson, but all I can say is, it's been a pleasure. As I said, the offer is open. I trust I will be seeing you next week. Oh, we, we certainly shall. Are there any nice ornaments lying around, or jewellery? Any more breakables? Are you, are you, you're, you're just going to rifle through all his, all his just, possessions? Yeah, if, there's, if there's anything really fancy there, in a really kind of stylish way, I'm just going to take it, just pick it up. Well, I hope you got a good slate of hand. No, no, it's not. I'm not. I'm doing it completely in the open. Okay. Yeah. Well, th let's say there is a small uh, statuette of a of a black bird <laughs> sitting on the desk. Then, then I'll, I'll I'll pick it. I'll pick it up as if it's a real bird and kind of hold it on on the end of my finger and 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 kind of stroke it and just you know head towards the door of the study. I think that at this point, Trevelyan is just staring with a look of exasperation and resigned, uh, a resigned expression on his face. And he takes another big swig of brandy as, as you leave his, his uh, 
in a sanctum. I, th I think this has become less the Maltese Falcon and more the Marx Brothers. There you go. You've had your, you've had your audience with uh, Hawksley Trevelyan. Um, as you depart with all your ill-gotten gains, um, I, yeah. Do you think it was particularly wise to reveal our intentions, Emery? I I think so. Yes, I I think by stirring up some ill will and suspicion in him, then we might encourage him to to tip his hand. Uh, he he already seems to be under some degree of stress, and I think by adding to that stress, we we might be able to force him to make unwise decisions and perhaps undermine his own plans. Well. Just saying, I have nothing but respect for you, uh, Dr. Watson, and I guess not quite Dr. Milton, but uh, he was very angry, <laughs> very angry with us, no matter what his uh, words might have said. Well, considering how we as a group behaved in his company, I, I'd be very surprised if he weren't. But then he's the kind of guy who's been born with a silver spoon in his mouth the whole time. He doesn't know what it's like to have someone pull that spoon out of his mouth and use it for themselves. I think he knows what it's like to be scalped. He does now. What say you, Hemp? I know. Scalping's a sensitive subject in Oklahoma. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Insensitive. I mean, he didn't seem receptive to the sensual massage that Reader was throwing down, so uh, there may be something going on with this fella whole thing's terrifying I, I think that was andy's purpose doing all this just to terrify us well i think we've terrified him i know i'm personally petrified don't break the fourth <laughs> fucking wall mate but the, i suppose that there is still the small matter as uh, as to whether we're likely to survive until next week and um, the, whatever it is that's going to happen in this film shoot uh because i well, when I say we, I'm, I mean primarily myself, because I, I do rather fear that um, my my recent researches may have called down destruction, certainly upon myself and possibly to anyone of my acquaintance. If you have called something upon us, and I'm still not sure that I believe in a lot of this, well, there's not much we can do about it. We might as well um, continue our investigations. Yes, well, and I think uh, continue, continue further researches and try to find out whether there are countermeasures one might perform. Oh, but there is this, and I pull out the little notebook that I found in the pocket, my the lucky notebook. I'm not sure if you can make head nor tail of any of what's in here. That might fill in some gaps. Yes, I hope so. And, and there are also these items that I grabbed from Mr. Trevelyan's desk while uh, Rita so uh, wonderfully distracted him. Thanks very much. Look, I, I know you, you two as men of science, you know, you know, are doctors and whatnot. You don't believe in this malarkey, do you? Oh, absolutely. We, we have seen very strange things we've encountered uh, terrors from beyond human comprehension and um, yes I mean, all of this makes a, an alarming amount of sense all right well can i can i hear it from um, the the one that doesn't drink so much <laughs> well i i have to say i've it, i've had encounters over the years which have 
caused me to question some of the assumptions that we make regarding reality from from a scientific perspective i mean you never seen you've never seen any actual monsters like half beast half man half fish half man anything like yes, that yes indeed indeed i have i i, I... Uh, okay, 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 okay. But you had you may you ain't never seen like some creature just float through the air, like a like or or, or skeletons come back from the dead. Yeah, I, I, that that too. Uncannily enough, it's like um, I don't know. Have you been looking at my diary? Oh boy, you guys are all fruit bats. Uh, now we haven't encountered fruit bats. Oh, they're just cute. Not when they're eighteen feet tall. I well, yeah. They still might be cute. Mm, from a distance, maybe. <laughs> yes, fruit fruit bats, no sand bats. Yeah. <laughs> don't I don't know very much, but uh, Nora and me, we were we were down there with the police there, and they got that blue stuff. They say it's alien alien slime. I mean, no, alien slime. I dare say that that slime was secreted by whatever creature it was that uh, that destroyed poor Mr. Collins and may at some point destroy the rest of us. This is a cheery bunch, isn't it? Very optimistic, Dr. Watson. That's why I'm sleeping under my bed. Well, that's why I brought us tin firearms. So you've obviously got all of this stuff to look at you're you, you know you've got this fragment of the of the painting you've got the papers from from trevelyan's desk you've got this notebook do you want to go and and now examine all of these things i think so yeah that that sounds sounds like the obvious next step got a suggestion that nora nora and i go and check out the golden goblin press ah interesting well you're going to have to find it first, aren't you? Yes. That's a, that's a good idea. Or visit the crash, the crash site, because we never did get out there. Yeah. What, what I would suggest is that while you do that, perhaps uh, Dr. Blythe and myself could uh, examine some of these materials we ployed and see what we can make sense of. Okay. Tamp coming with the ladies. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I can add much to this whole... Um, academic discussion back here but i definitely can provide some protection in the field so let's do that all right so you split you split up you, uh, milton and emery are back in the in the hotel suite um looking at the materials and the other three head off well you're you know the location it's somewhere down highway one towards monterey somewhere down that coast road there where the crash happened the first thing Milton and Emery you realise is that uh, well you, you don't even realise you know this to to understand more about this scrap of canvas you need some specialist to look at it you'd need to find um, uh, an art restorer or something like that to to have a look at it and give you give you more information um, it's something that couldn't be done very quickly but if you wanted to maybe find someone with with you know, find an art restorer somewhere in the city and take this the fragment to them and get them to do it. You could you could certainly do that. The alternative is we could get in contact with Professor Randolph and see whether there's someone at the university who might have the expertise. Ah, yes, indeed, absolutely. In the art history department, absolutely, very good idea. Yes, yes. But of course, you can look at the papers and the notes that you've got. So when you get back to the to the hotel. There's actually a note waiting for you saying that Samuel Hammett 
uh, called and he wants you to urgently call him back. Uh, well, I suppose I suppose we'd better do that. I'll tell you what, do you, do you want to take care of that, Dr. Blythe, while I uh, uh, try to make sense of some of these papers? Certainly, certainly. I'll contact Mr. Hammett. Okay, um, so you have his number. He, he left his number, which I think you probably had anyway. And uh, you you ring through to his, I guess it's his private number. Uh, and after a few rings, uh, you hear that familiar cough <coughs> as he picks up the phone, clears his throat, and he says, um, Yeah, who is this? Oh, hi, Mr. Hammett. This is uh, uh, Milton, Milton Blythe. I, I believe you were trying to contact us. I, 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 I was. I'm glad you called back so quick. I got some uh, disturbing news. Uh, uh, more disturbing than what we already know? Uh, I guess it's all pretty much of a piece, really, ain't it? But seems like uh, Miss Turner has seen something pretty strange happen to her. What? What? Please, do tell. Well, you see, I um, I went to the hotel and I... Because I really wanted to find out why she skipped town. I mean, uh, you know, left her car, left all her, her things there... I spoke to a maid, and um, she told me something. She was a bit scared, a bit skittish, I don't know. Maybe didn't want to say anything too too uh, unpleasant and whatever, but um, she was dusting outside in the corridor. She said that Miss Turner went into her room, and then about 20 minutes later, she hears this scream coming from the room. Miss Turner. Anyway doesn't think much of it. I mean, just here's one scream. Maybe she saw a rat or a cockroach or something. Could have been anything. Anyway, later that afternoon, they went up to tidy to, to do that, do that, to, you know, turn the room over, turn the bed over. They knock, no answer. Door's locked. Open it up. They go in. And uh, Miss Turner's just gone. Vanished. And they say that she did not come out of that room at any point. Hmm. Well, was there any no sign of uh, her? Is no other way to leave the room? What, what floor was she on? Well, no, there was no other way. She was on the fourth floor. Uh, just a window out to the street. That's it. Anyway, hey, now listen. You know, I I ain't been doing this detective thing for a while, but I, you know, I flashed my old card and I went up there, and what I saw was well, it was strange. What did he see? What did you find? It was very faint, but I don't, I don't understand it myself. It was it doesn't make any sense. I was looking around the room, and I saw on the window, very faintly, it was like a smudge. It was like an outline of her, like a thin coating of, of I don't know, like dust or something. In the shape of a woman. The size and shape of a woman? Yeah, exactly. It was almost as if someone had taken her like a, I don't know, like a pencil and drawn outside, drawn out like the outline of her, where she was standing, you know, projected onto the window. I don't know, it's crazy. Uh, but was there a sign of any kind of struggle or anything in the room? You didn't happen to see any any slime anywhere, did you? No, <laughs> slime. No, I don't, I don't know. You mean you mean that 
that stuff they found on Collins. The, no. the, the, yeah, uh, yeah, the blue stuff, the blue stuff. No, no. But I don't know. It all feels like it's part of the same crazy story, doesn't it? I, indeed, indeed. Do you think there could be anything gained from from us going up there and taking a look, or? I mean, maybe. I look. I <laughs> I used to do this uh, as, as my main main line of business, so. I'd like to think I didn't miss anything, but you never know. Why don't we... Sure. Let's go up and take a look. Are you... Are you free now? I guess, yes. Yes, my uh, colleague... Um, Dr. Watson is uh, currently going through some, some paperwork that may give us some, some more information, but I guess I could uh, nip across with you and take a look at the scene. All right. I'll meet you there in, in 15 minutes. Okay. And then he puts the phone down. So is this this place fifteen minutes away from where I am? Or, yeah, you're or... you're just around the corner. I mean, you're a couple of blocks away. You're 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 closer than he is. You head out and you meet. Um, uh, fifteen minutes later, you you meet uh, Hammett, and he says, "Hey, look, uh, you better take one of these." And he hands you a detective badge, <laughs> a detective card. He says, "It's okay. It's it's legit. Well, I mean, it's not yours, but it's a real badge. So uh, you know." Well, it's, it's probably more convincing than me. Are you still wearing the waders, by the way? I'd like to think that, yeah, if I've, I've got a change of clothes, I would have changed from the waders. All right, and um, flashing the badges, you, you go upstairs and the, and the maid lets you in, into the hotel room. And it is as he described. There's there's very little... Um, there's no sign of any struggle. There's there's some of her clothing still still sort of dumped on a chair and a suitcase, an open suitcase in the closet uh, with more clothes in it and a few few things hanging from, from, from hangers. And he takes you over to the window and he points at this thing. And... Extraordinary. I wonder if it makes sense to try and get a sample of this dust. Yeah, so as you get as you look at it closer, it is very odd. You can make an intelligence roll. Ooh, that's a hard success. So are you are you gonna try and scrape some of it off or what are you? Yeah, I was just I'm just gonna touch it with my finger, first of all, because you know, I'm no detective, I don't know anything about disturbing crime scene. But um, Yeah, so so it, what it appears to be it's very odd it's a very very fine coating of of something but it it appears that something must have reacted to the dust that was on the window um and it just changed it 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 kind of darkened it it's not like there's this really it's not like a thick layer of anything that there's dust kind of all over the window but in her outline it's almost like her shadow turned this dust into some darker substance in a perfect like as if as if a, a beam of light had projected behind her and cast this shadow and fixed it onto the window so the shape that she's kind of that's been cast is just her standing there yeah. She hasn't got her arms out or her mm. hands up or anything. Yeah, yeah. Her, her her right arm is lifted up. Okay, so it looks like she's possibly shielding herself from something. Yes. And as you're looking through, you can't help but notice that across the street, directly opposite, almost 
parallel to this hotel room. There's a fourth story room looking directly across. And strangely, although the rest of the building has got curtains or drapes or um, seems to be occupied, this room is completely empty. There's no curtains and you can see straight in. There's no furniture or anything. It's a completely bare room. What do you make of this, Samuel? He looks where you're pointing. The, the room across the street is completely empty. And it's, I don't know. Do you think it's worth taking a look over there? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what are you thinking? I, I, I don't know. For some reason, it strikes me as strange that just the positioning of the, well, this shape. Well, I guess so. I mean, what, do you think someone might have taken a shot at her or something? Well, not in a conventional sense, but uh, it's just something's leading me to that to that room. And it certainly, you have to admit, it looks odd being completely bare. I mean, at the very least, maybe someone was spying on her from there or something. Well, yeah, perhaps they saw what happened. Anything, you know, a flash or whatever. Uh, although, I mean, it is empty, so... But let's head over and have a look anyway. I'm quite enjoying this detective business. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Have you have your badge ready, Milton? You're going to be needing it. Oh yeah, don't worry. I've been I've been holding it since you gave it to me. Let's cut to the ladies and Hamp. As you're, I guess Hamp, you're driving again, are you? Of course. These women drive. <laughs> oh, Jesus well, actually, Christ. actually, Reader is a pretty good pilot, so you know, I can't, I can't really speak to that. But I, I, I would like to think that you're there in the back, having a nice old time of it, and you're up front on your own driving. It's almost like meditation. I'm like thinking over all these things that these people have been telling me. The, the two doctors tell him, you know, I, I, I generally have respect for doctors, but then they're telling me about all manner of, you know, beasts and machinations and and. Uh, uh, weird goings ons, and you know, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about all this kind of. Everything's kind of turned over in old Ham's head, you know. He didn't quite know what to make of anything, so he's just kind of zoning out on the road, letting the women folk talk in the back and do their thing, their detective work. So yeah, you you drive south to the spot on the coast road. It's only maybe a dozen miles south of of the city, and you get to the uh, to the location, and it's it's just a kind of bit of dusty scrub land with some plants growing leading down to the sand and then to the water below it's it's actually quite a shallow incline it's not like a cliff or anything you get there and there's no sign of the crash car which has been has been towed away there doesn't seem to be any any wreckage there either as you get out but this is definitely the spot that you were told no sign at, at all like there's no scuff marks or you know so as you understood it, the, the car sort of burst into flames from the crash, but there don't, doesn't seem to be any sign of any f fire damage. But you can look around, absolutely. Yes, I would like to do that. And, you know, I'm looking for any sign of the blue goo. I know it, I know it just or is caustic and goes away, but any sign that it was there. Tire, scratch marks, claw marks, or pieces of claw, you know, anything that something might have left behind. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, the first thing is you can all make an intelligence roll. Okay, well, Nora gets it. I passed it. 
57 against 65. Okay. So it's quite clear from just a brief examination that as you approach, you realize there's no tracks either, like from the car. So clearly the area was completely cleaned up after the removal of the car and the body. But as you're kind of wandering around, you do notice there's something odd just just a bit further up, maybe about 20 yards up. There seems to be some kind of small carcass just off the side of the road that wasn't that hasn't been cleaned up. Like um not very big. Maybe maybe 10 inches by 5. Oh, no. Raider's got a pair of binoculars, if you remember, that she's got as part of her, uh, you know, observation kit. You know, so Rita's kind of gone up to the higher area and she's looking around with her binoculars to see what she can see. And as, you're, as you raise them up, you see that the carcass is a dead bird. Not a very big one. Maybe it's a raven or something by the roadside. And it's decomposed, and its bones are visible through through the patches of skin and feather still left on it. And it seems to be lying in a small pool of bluish liquid. Then, then I'm gonna I'm gonna call to the others, and and, and I'm gonna walk towards it with with the binoculars in front of my eyes. You get closer and closer, and yeah, it it's really strange. Like the bottom half of this bird just seems to have dissolved completely into this blue slime. I said, I'm probably going to be with walking with you, is what I said. Can't see any maggots in all that blue stuff. No, no maggots. In as a whistle, it's like it's been dipped in battery acid. Well, they said it was caustic. I know you said there were bones and things. Is there a clean bone there that I could, like, try to get a sample of this, like, grab a bone and try to get a sample of the blue stuff without burning my hands off? You mean just like pulling it out, like pulling out a chicken wing or something, or, or yeah. a rib, pulling out a rib? Uh, yeah, sure, you can do that. Sure, you can do that. You 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 bend down, and yeah, you uh, you're gonna like try and pull it off. I think you need to make a. I think you need to make a dexterity roll, really. Okay. Yep. Wow, well, I can't believe it. <laughs> Is that three criticals in one session? I mean, you almost don't even touch it. You're so good. You very delicately pull one of the bones out and scoop up a bit of this blue slime on the end of it. Is it eating through the bone immediately? Yeah, it starts sizzling away as you touch it. We need to figure out a way to... The doctors would want to see this. I'm looking at Nora through my binoculars, like right next to her head. I don't have anything. I mean, this alien slime... Maybe Hamp's got something. He's he's quite resourceful. Maybe Hamp's got something. And then I turn around. I turn around. Hamp with my binoculars on. And I shout, "Hey, Hamp! Got anything for blue slime?" Hamp failed his intelligence check earlier, so Hamp's just sitting on the hood, with the hood ornament sort of between his legs, kind of staring at the sky. He's like, "What? Blue? What?" Mister Hamp, we we found more of the secretion by the entity. We need to. Oh, Jiminy Christmas. What's going on over there? Uh, come, would you come here, please? Oh. I need something to contain it without the melting. Uh, Hamp scrounges up a, uh, a gas can out of the trunk. Okay. 
empties it of any contents that might be in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's hope this thing doesn't react with, uh, with petroleum, eh? It's only one way to find out. That's a good way for you all to go out. You drop it into the <laughs> boom. And he, he, he grabs a, like, maybe an old magazine or something that's hanging out in the car to kind of scoop it with. <laughs> Wonderful. The car did explode, so I hope it isn't reactive with the fumes. So. All right, so you go over and uh, take take charge, and you bend down to scoop up this uh, blue slime, uh, and you're going to have to make a dexterity roll as well. Sure, sure, absolutely. Now we're going to get the fumble, yeah? Probably. Hamp can't roll for shit. Oh, no, you're fine. Oh, you're nice. fine. You're fine. Yeah, you, you managed to scoop up maybe um, a couple of ounces of it and drop it into the can. Yeah, you have it. We should probably get this back to the doctors as, before it disappears on us somehow. How how fast do we need to get it back to the doctors? Because I can I can drive like the wind. Well, give me one more second. If I look around, are there any weird tracks around where the bird died? Uh, no, no. Oh, weird. Okay. It's quite strange, really. I mean, it's just this puddle of slime and the bird. It looks like the bird maybe just fell into it or something, or stood in it, or. Is this slime worth anything? Like, is there a monetary value in, involved? Can can I check? I have a feeling it's priceless. That's what she'll say. Feelings don't make it so. Can I appraise it? Can you appraise some blue slime? Sure, mm -hmm. make an appraise roll. <clears throat> oh my god. Alright, well, you rolled an extreme success on appraising the blue slime, and judging by what they told you, and about the fact that it doesn't appear to be terrestrial and is made from non-carbon-based organic material, you would assess that its value could be inconceivable, either as a rare substance or as part of some, some very dangerous weaponry. More importantly, I get a check mark. Now let's navigate this car home. Right. Now you, it's going to take you half an hour. What are you doing with the can? Where are you putting it? Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty wedded to my binoculars, so uh, I'd probably let Nora carry it if Hamp's driving. Yeah, I'll put it like on the seat. Is that is that going to be safe back there between you two? Or do we need to put it in the trunk? I just don't want any unnecessary explosions, you know, and, you know, damage to your your pretty little selves, anything like that. I don't, I, don't, I, I couldn't stand to see that. Keep my eye on it. Yes, Rita, a good idea. The only reason I don't want to put it on the trunk in the trunk is because it it seems to have a habit of going missing, like the police the police's sample went. I just want to see how it reacts to things. That's a good point. I'll, I'll, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a long drive home, but we'll drive careful. We'll, uh, I, don't, I don't want to hit too many unnecessary bumps or anything. Yes. Careful but efficient, Mr. Hamp. Careful but efficient. Let's go. That's why I'm, I'm okay with it being in the seat as long as it doesn't take us several hours to get back. You're only half an hour away. But we will cut back to uh, Emery. Dr. Emery, Dr. Emery. Uh, whenever I say that, I can't help but think of, of Barry. For Barry. Dr. Emery! <laughs> so here is what you have found from the notes. So the papers and the notes together paint a rather interesting picture. So the notebook, which, um, as you heard, as you overheard, Trevelyan say had been in his uh, wading trousers for at least a couple of months, but seems to be very seems to be all about this um, German filmmaker, which is a bit weird, called Otto T 
Totleben. He's an expressionist film director from Germany who has moved to the US. And Trevelyan has written up extensive notes about his aesthetic, his very expressionist aesthetic. And a lot of stuff in there about perspective, his use of perspective and angles. It's very strange and extreme camera angles. How he's, uh, and then later on in the notebook, it's like information talking about how, about when they were going to meet and how he was looking forward to it and plans for making this production of Aziska. Ah, okay. And then the paperwork, you have to make a, oh, I don't know, education role. Okay. It needs, uh, it needs, needs to be a hard success. No. <laughs> Fucking hell. 91. <laughs> Have you literally rolled 90 every time today? Yeah, Have you... yes, literally. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, the papers, they're, they're some kind of technical drawings that you don't understand. <laughs> well, I guess you could always push the roll. I, I was just trying to think of some way of doing that. I mean, I, I guess if they're, they're technical drawings... Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose what Dr. Watson will do then is basically annotate the documents go through and put his own little notes on there and if they're you know, if they're drawings of things sort of draw additional little bits on and try to extrapolate what they are and so on and possibly risk ruining the documentation completely. of course <laughs> of course yes like a child's crayon over the top well go for it okay another no oh. yes <laughs> a okay. success you did it. You did it. Okay. However, I did say you needed a hard success. So oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yes. So it's still a failure. Well, you don't ruin yeah. them, but uh, and you only get a, t a small amount of information from them. They seem... You'll definitely need someone else to, to uh, look at these who maybe has more knowledge than you. But they seem to be mechanical drawings for making some kind of machine you're utterly convinced this is a design for a new type of very advanced distilling technology. Of course. Well, yes. Well, clearly, clearly this needs to be enacted as soon as possible. And um, well, I, th I, th I think then Dr. Watson shall wait for Hamp to return uh, because he, he seems to be a young man who understands mechanical things. So you wait for the others to get back. If I do have any spare time after doing that, I'll, I'll go back to trying to learn that spell. The shoot starts in about six days' time, I think, from, from, from now. That'll get you quite a long way down the path of learning that spell, but not quite there. But what, what I'm going to say is, if you want to try and learn it before the shoot, it'll just make it a bit harder. If you want to kind of ru rush, do a rush, rush job, as it were. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's only Mythos Magic. How dangerous can it be? Exactly, exactly, exactly. But let's cut back to Milton. You've gone to this uh, building opposite... And you, you've gone up, up, up the staircase, and you've there's a, a porter that that on showing him the detective uh, badges, uh, you're taken up up to the uh, fourth floor, and uh, he says, well, "There isn't much to see in there. I don't, I don't know exactly what you're what you're looking for, fellas, but uh, yeah, take your time." And he uh, he unlocks the door and lets you in, and uh, Hammett kind of follows you into the room and uh, starts just looking around, pacing around scratching his chin 
Right. Well, I'm going to walk over to the window, mm. looking straight across to the the apartment we just left, and I'm looking for any sort of residue on the glass here. Hmm. Going to see anything? Yeah. Make a spot and roll now. Very good. Hammett comes up and he says, uh, "So what do you reckon, Prof?" Well, can I see anything on the glass? Have I detected anything? So you have a close look, and no, there's nothing like what you saw in Miss Turner's room. And Hammett is kind of standing next to you, and he's looking across, and he's saying, yeah, it's a, it's a straight shot from here, straight across to our room. And at that point, you're looking down, and you, you look down at the window ledge. There's nothing really on there, the windowsill, there's nothing really on there. And then you look down where you're standing, and you realize there's something kind of strange on the floor. There's a triangular-shaped pattern on the floor. Oh, see, like a tripod has been standing there. Yeah, that would be a very good guess, because there are three sort of indentations or where the dust has been disturbed. Maybe the floorboards have been scratched a bit as well, in a perfect triangle, as if a tripod was, in fact, standing there. Can you see this? I, I think... <laughs> I mean, what kind of device could have been fired across to the other room? And I don't, I, I can't even begin to imagine what has occurred here. But there's definitely, definitely somebody was in this room is involved in what has occurred. Yeah, I, uh, I think you're right, Milton. I mean, look, look, the way it's lined up, it's right, right in line with the windows. I mean, what? You think it was a weapon? Like a, I don't know, like a gun or something? Well, that's what I'm thinking, that, that can pass through glass, but I guess vaporize. Oh, come on. That's Buck Rogers stuff, Milton. Yeah, I'm suggesting some kind of amazing story. I'm just speculating here. Can I search around the room for anything else? I can see if anyone's been standing in the room who might have operated the, this machinery or any other, anything else along those lines. Okay, I tell you what, you can make a luck roll. It's a good thing I didn't say Flash Gordon, that was even later. Yeah, okay, so you do find something. Like, just in the, maybe wedged between the side the the wall and, and one of the floorboards and the edge you find something it, it 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 looks strange it's like a bit like something melted like a small piece of thin plastic that's melted well not plastic exactly you can make an education roll oh shit i know what uh, this is <laughs> you do know what it is it it's celluloid from a film camera ah so Somebody has taken a picture here, or something, something along those lines has occurred. There's been a camera of some description set up here, and I don't know. I just feel that this could at least suggest that there might be evidence of what occurred here, somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling here. What, what, what say you, Samuel? I don't know. I mean, how could a camera make someone disappear? It doesn't make, don't make any sense. Uh, well, maybe, maybe that's, 
not what happened. Maybe. I'm, I'm struggling here, Samuel. I've got to tell you. But something's not right. I mean, yeah, I, I guess they were spying on her and then. But you said that the outline as well. Yeah. Look, I, I don't know. Needs a smarter guy than me to figure this one out. Yeah, a camera would not do that. I guess not. Well, whatever happened to Miss Turner doesn't sound like it ended well for her. Well, she, she never left that room. Nobody saw her leave that room. Correct. I, I, somebody knows what happened to her. And I, I suggest that somebody was here in this room. Well, look, I tell you what. I'll do some digging on my end. If you find anything out, you let me know. I'll go and uh, speak to some of my contacts downtown. Maybe they'll know who, who rented out this place. I guess the people downstairs, the owner. Find out from them. I'll uh, I'll let you know if I find out anything. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back and chat with my friend Emery and uh, see what we can piece together. Okay. If something happened here. Okay. Indeed. So, let's say a little while later, you are all back at the hotel with your various discoveries. Well, it looks like Miss Turner's gone. Somebody's Somebody's got to Miss Turner and she's gone. I don't know where, but I know someone's responsible. Uh, sorry, when you say she's gone... I, I mean, she's no longer... Well, she certainly... She was in that room and a scream was heard. When the room was checked later that day, she was not there. But I found, it sounds bizarre, but I found her shadow was still in the room, kind of in, in dust against the glass. And across the street in the apartment opposite, someone had been in that room with a contraption. And I'd suggest that they were involved in her disappearance, if not annihilation I, I I think I'm on I'm onto something hmm well we I think we can deduce that um, certainly our, our adversaries in this matter or or at least those who are experimenting with forces that it would be unwise to experiment with have got some sort of interest in manipulating the very structure of reality of, of dimensions and I suppose that if they have done something sinister to uh, to Miss Turner, then um, perhaps that could be related. Maybe, maybe she is just no longer present within this dimension. Well, she left that room by some means, which in in some way, some way. Yes, I'm not entirely sure where the shadow comes into this. Um, would this be a good opportunity for me to try a Cthulhu Mythos roll? <laughs> if you want. Yeah, b because my dice have been going so well recently. <laughs> this is a really, really good moment to, to do it. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, at least you didn't fumble. Yeah, well, it was, it was under 90. I'll take that as a win at the moment. It's definitely a win, definitely a win. No, you, you have no no inkling of, of what this could be. However, when Milton talks about a kind of device or something scientific, of course, you you can't help but think about your, your distillation blueprint. 
Yes, um, well, I, I, I go and grab the bits of paperwork and lay them down in front of Milton and say, um, the device, I mean, obviously you didn't see the device itself, but do you suppose that from the signs you found it could be anything like this? Uh, or, or is this, or is this indeed a very advanced form of still? I'm still undecided. Is it on a tripod? It is indeed on a tripod. And is there any evidence that celluloids might be involved in? Well, given what you know, I will give you a bonus dice on it. Um, well, it's a hard success, so you succeed. And yes, what you what you are looking at is a blueprint for a movie camera. So absolutely, celluloid would be used in this. Mm. So, I'm, I'm sure a rather mad idea, but um, as we have discovered in some of our previous exploits, the realities we encounter are rather madder than any fancies we might come up with ourselves. But given all the the materials that we found recently to do with shifting between dimensions and changing dimensions, and if this device that made Miss Turner disappear uses celluloid. Do you suppose that it could be somehow, I don't know, reducing her number of dimensions down to two, trapping her within the film itself? Are you suggesting, suggesting she's literally been committed to film? This would be bizarre, but it would not be the most bizarre thing we've encountered. It's up there, though. It is up there, yes. <laughs> it's, it's certainly in the top three. If it's not been used to film her demise, it's caused her demise or, or her entrapment. I mean, this is just pure fancy on my part. I mean, it, it may be that she was killed by eldritch magic and that the camera merely uh, captured the act. But considering the, that uh, Mr Trevelyan has put so much effort into creating this this camera and that it seems to deviate somewhat markedly from more conventional designs, I can't help but feel that it is somehow related to the other matters we've been investigating. And if this is the case, and Mr Trevelyan is involved with the, the making of this film, then I would suggest that he not be allowed to actually perform any of the camera work. And at this point, your friends come in through through the door um, carrying a gas can and looking a bit dusty from their trip and um, what I need and I think it's got to be Nora not um, because she was holding the can I need Nora to roll a d6 d6 okay yes oh you don't know how how lucky that roll was for you <laughs> and the can for now is perfectly intact, although you're pretty sure you did see little wisps of vapour coming up through the lid um, at various points, and and there is probably a faint sizzling sound coming from inside. I'm sure. But, uh, but yeah, you you have your you have your goo, uh, you have your blueprint, and I suppose you have your uh, you have your theories, and I and I think that is where we will end the session. It's thank you time again. So first of all, thank you, as usual, to Sirenscape for providing the amazing sound beds, sound effects and music for the podcast. 
we can't do this without you especially the way we want to put this podcast together your amazing sound engineers just produce the most perfect ambience and audio effects for podcasting so for those of you that don't know Sirenscape, go and check them out. Their sound sets aren't just useful for podcasts, they're great to use at the table. Two particular sets that I use all the time are the Master of Nihilathotep, which I think now is completely done, all seven chapters, and the Two-Headed Serpent, which I think they've just released the Calcutta one, so kudos to Sirenscape. Also, of course, this podcast, it would exist, but it wouldn't have the same joy and energy it does have if it wasn't for the Patreon backers. I love you all, I thank you all, you make my day my month my year and at whatever level you're backing i'm just so so grateful and thank you for helping us keep going and since our last thank you we have a new backer we have a new backer at the grizzled patron level which is very appropriate because it is a dear friend of mine jason Connolly, who runs well not just runs he's the mastermind behind nerds rpg variety cast a truly awesome podcast available from anchor and anywhere else you can do a search for podcasts and they're about to launch a new podcast called cerebrivore so go and check that out as well it's full of anchor luminaries jason for the eagle-eared amongst you will possibly realize that he has been on one of our actual plays a long time ago he was in forget me not and he was amazing in that i won't tell you what but the hospital scene is one of my standout moments from the entire actual play podcast that we've done so thank you so much jason you're a good friend you're a very kind man you care so much about the community and you back a lot of us so yeah you're just the tops thanks so much jason 